Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. Listeners, you are part of a family. Perhaps your family is filled with the sound of young kids running around the house. Maybe you live alone, or maybe you have multiple generations under your roof. No matter how your home looks, you are part of a family. Through the generations, a culture has formed in your household and in your family. Your culture might be one of connection and grace, maybe a lot of fun. Maybe your family culture has more regrets or anger than you would like to admit. Our guest today is Christina Hergenrader. She's going to help us understand why it's worth our energy to create a culture of grace in our family and how we can start to take steps today to create this culture of grace, no matter where we're starting from. Hi, Christina. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to hear your voice. It is. It's great to see you. It's been a few months since we've had one of these chats. Yes. And a lot has happened. This A lot has happened. Yes. <laughs> so oh, how are things in you're in the you're uh, in addition to wife mom prolific author you're also a high school English teacher how are things in Houston right now yes we're doing okay we are um heading you know into the holidays so that is a much needed break we started school on August 19th here our kids are at a Christian school and we were able to start in person. No one else in Houston was except for Christian schools. They, the governor gave us a special um, allowment. So we've been in person since August 19th and it's been fantastic. And so I do teach seniors. We also have four kids in school. So we have all the grades. We have a, a junior and then we have twins. Sam and Elizabeth are in the seventh grade and we have a fifth grader. So, um, We've got all the grades and then we're, my husband, Mike and I are doing all of the things that the rest of the adults are doing in 2020. We're watching the news. We're trying to figure out, you know, where, where in the world um, things are going to land. And we're, we're really, we're really right now in a great place because everything has kind of, I know you're a mom too. So I feel like we have settled now, like we've landed in a spot where life feels comfortable um, enough, but, but the holidays, I think we just need a break because we're getting a little bit, um, things are feeling pretty chaotic in our house. Is that how it's feeling for you guys too? It's been, it's, it's been pretty good. I think the fact that our kids were able to all go back to school mid August, like yours, both our yeah. great kids and my high schooler, um, again, our Lutheran schools made it a priority to get the kids back in person full time. And that has been huge to help us feel like there's some normal rhythm to our days. Yes. And if they were still at home and if I was still having second grade happening over my shoulder, I might be a little bit more tense. <laughs> yes. Compared to how I was last spring with first grade. Yes. But it's been nice for the kids. It's it's helped set a good rhythm for the household, even though it's dialed back from where it would have been if this was a normal year. And I think there's been just enough to help everybody feel somewhat normal. That said, you know, at the midpoint of the fall and headed into the, the holiday time, you can start to see nerves fray a little bit around the edges. Yeah. Yeah. This has been an interesting year. I don't know if um, if I were planning out 2020 and I had put a pandemic for us here in Houston, the amount of hurricanes has been just crazy. We have a house down in Galveston. And so we have been on pins and needles besides with COVID. It's been constant. Every other week, we're like, you know, is there is there going to be a hurricane? And there's a ton of damage that happens with each of the storms that hit around our area, unfortunately, Louisiana, and then watching on the news what's going on in California and around the country with different, you know, just strange weather patterns. I'm not sure if I would put a contentious presidential election in the middle of all that if I were planning 2020. <laughs> and yet here we are. So when you think, yeah. And those are just like the three big things off the top of your head. Yes, so, exactly. Well, well, and you know, it's crisis stirs up deep feelings yes. um, on a good day, good year. And the world, no matter where we look right now, it feels like there is crisis everywhere. I'm just craving good news in most places. Yes. Um, and yeah. so I, I think that this conversation today is going to be helpful because it can give us a good reminder uh, 
to help keep our focus where it needs to be and keep that those crisis feelings and the the bad stuff that they can stir up at bay while we're in our homes with our families. You know, that's so well said. And I think that is exactly what, what folks need to hear right now. Because so I'm a teacher and I'm a parent. Today's basketball tryouts for two of our kids. And we're going into the, the practice or the tryouts today. And the kids are like, oh, I don't know. I'm, you know, I don't know if I'm good enough for the team. And there's all this angst about it. And we're, and it's the same thing as I teach seniors. They come in and we're reading Hamlet right now. It's kind of a rite of passage for seniors. And they're like, I don't know anything about this play, you know? And, and my, my continuing thing I'm telling all these people in my life is, but that's why we're doing it. Like you're, you're, you're not supposed to come in fully prepared in the Instagram world society we live in, there's this idea that like you're supposed to show up and know how to play basketball so that you can, you know, I'm like, it's sixth grade basketball. You know, you're going to learn a lot this year and that's what you're doing it for. Or Hamlet, if you came in and you know, we told our kids this maybe daily, if you came in and knew all the things for this class, then you wouldn't really need to take it. So you're going to have to be not great at it maybe for a while. And so I feel like that the thing that 2020 is teaching us in a lot of ways is like, you know, you hear from so many people like, no, but you don't understand. We, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling anxious about this and it's hard. And, and then the, the counter message to that is that, that we we have a, this wonderful God who never has ever said it's going to be super easy. <laughs> everything will be super <laughs> easy, um, and you know we have the whole scriptures and everything in it filled with this stories over and over of failure, try again, pivot, try again, and that's where the deepest lessons are learned. And so the same thing I'm telling the kids in our lives. I feel like we need to tell each other as parents and adults. Like, of course you don't know how to parent a freshman in high school, or of course you don't know how to parent during a pandemic. Um, so, and I think I've said this to you before, maybe on a podcast or maybe on a Facebook live, but um, the, the thing we're learning to say in our household is, um, I have not learned that yet. <laughs> and, and I think that going into the holidays, as we talk about family and getting together in 2020, like the message is, we, we just haven't learned how to do family during a pandemic yet. And we're learning that and we may not do it perfectly, but that's, you know, that's, that's great. So, so we're, we're trying to, we're trying to not live an Instagram life here. We're just trying to learn, live a life where we're learning a lot. Oh, I love that so much. And it's, you know, my, my home is definitely not an Instagram perfect life. I'll be the first to admit that. And it's funny, it's funny to talk about the basketball tryouts and the high school seniors with Hamlet, because I've had a very similar conversation in my house with my freshman who just got the email a few days ago saying, hey, we think you should maybe apply for honors English. And here's what you need to do to do that. And this is a child who can talk up He's been talking since he was born in full sentences <laughs> and his brain is crazy smart. He's a sharp kid. His grade is off the charts in freshman English right now. And he's like, no, I can't, I don't want, no, any other class, any other class, but English, yes. like you need to try. I don't want to try any other class, but English. no, really, this is where and it's, it's what you're saying, like, but I don't know, maybe I won't be, it, maybe it'll be too hard. I'm like, you need to try. Yeah. And if there's anything that I think that this pandemic is helping us in families or just individuals, period, but especially for our kids who are coming up in this, is I think their resilience is going to be a whole lot stronger when they come out of just being able to adapt to, all right, well, everything's changing right now. We just have to roll with it and see where we go. But I, I like that you know, we haven't learned that yet. Yeah. Like you don't know till you try and there's, you gain the experience, you try and you fail, you've gained some experience and you'll do better next time. And you just have to keep going with that. Yep. And that's scary for us because, um, you know, kids especially, but you and I too, we live in these lives yeah. that are just so, they feel so scripted. And so like, if it's hasn't, doesn't have a million views on YouTube, then it's really not worth watching. And it, it really <laughs> eliminates this like vulnerability level of, what if I go in and I'm kind of just not great at basketball for a whole season? I'm learning and, you know, that would be terrible. Well, no, that's pretty much how everyone's done it. <laughs> it's just that. And so you've got to yeah. learn. You've got to. 
just every little bit, every, every little bit of effort you put into it is going to help. And that's, that's a great lesson to teach in the families. Yeah. You've talked, you've talked before about um, how families have a filter. Tell us what the family filter is and why it is important. So it's interesting because I feel like this has been, you know, I wrote this book that um, we really talk about this, Family Trees and Olive Branches, a few years ago. And I learned so much while I was writing that as studying families who were successfully living out a culture of grace. And then I also looked at families that weren't. And in my research of that, I found so much so many interesting dynamics that happen in families that we just aren't aware of happening. So your family of origin, my family of origin, your husband's, my husband, all of us have this family of story behind us and in there, in your family of origin, but then also in the next generation, like the family that you're raising now, there's this family filter that is coloring everything. And it's the way that you see the world. And the, the analogy I love to use is that when when your parents got married or when you and your husband got married, um, or for listeners out there, if you're not married yet, it's a great thing to think about because, or, you know, just even as you as you blend two households, you had kind of a like a red and a blue family filter. And then the one you combine is like purple, <laughs> you know? You have to then put all these things together. So what happens is, is, is then... The goal that I describe in this book, but the goal for all of us is, is that we would have a culture of grace in our families because it's really the only way. Like we know that. And if you've experienced a family that lives in a culture of grace, it's really part of it. But what we bring into that situation with our families is a whole bunch of baggage, you know, and we call it the family filter because it's not always bad baggage. Like you may have had beautiful holiday traditions for Thanksgiving. And the only problem is, so did your husband and they're different. And instead of a clash, you're trying to blend these together. Um, but of course, the blending of that is the first part of grace that then is going to start to set the culture for like, you know, your three boys or for my four kids. And it happens over and over generation to generation to generation until we're we're walking around all of us existing in these groups, these families who um, have either successfully been able to build a culture of grace or they've built these other cultures, which are the family filter is we see everything through like chaos or we see everything through efficiency or we see everything through um, like, like conflict, like everything is going to be a conflict. And that has a lot to do with your, um, with the way that the the way that your family is going to go out into the world and see themselves, um, it really does. It really does affect ev everything. And then, especially like, those filters are turned way up come holiday time. Yes. So you you reference the you know Thanksgiving traditions, and in a normal year, trying to figure out whose house is Thanksgiving going to be out? Which recipe for stuffing are we going to make? And how's, how's this going to happen? And uh, on a normal year, those filters are really bright. But this year when we have certain restrictions on, well, how many people can come to Thanksgiving dinner? Yes. Are we all going to be having dinner by Zoom? Yes. What does that mean for our traditions? Yes. And there's just so many. I mean, when you mentioned those two things, like traditions and food, I mean, there's just like those people have such strong feelings about things like stuffing. And, you know, it's crazy the amount of, well, we all know that because we've been doing Thanksgiving for all these years. And, you know, you could probably think of like the, the year that you messed up and served the stovetop when you're really supposed to, you know, here in Texas, we put like sausage in our stuffing, which my husband is from Nebraska. So it's stuff like that where he was like, I don't, th I don't think sausage belongs in that. And we're like, sausage belongs in everything. If we're covering with gravy, <laughs> people get these really strong feelings about um, that kind of stuff. And then it feels catastrophic sometimes because it's family and family has this, and, it, and rightfully so, like God does put a special distinction and blessings on families, but also it feels so catastrophic. We can't get along about dressing. And then that's not even mentioning politics. That's not even mentioning, you know, religion. And and then you get into some real, like the, the prodigal black sheep 
you know, son that's not there and everyone feels the ache of his presence, but is also, I, I mean, of not him being, of him not being there, but then also is hugely relieved he's not there. You know, I mean, there's these like things that are kind of heartbreaking going on. Um, and, and we're in November now. And so this is, this is what we're looking at. And, um, and this is a weird year. So I feel like the anxiety is high. I, I think you're right. And I think yeah. for us to take a beat now before we really get into those preparations and find ourselves in those situations, um, you know, as, as we're recording this, we don't know the outcome of the election. Um, the day this airs, we might still not know the outcome. Um, all of these external things are going to be weighing on the minds of our families and those that uh, are with us over the holidays. Let's start um, just at, at a basic level. Define what a culture of grace looks like so that one, we can, I, we can have a picture of that, of what we're striving for. Yes. Yes. That's great. So culture of grace, um, the key word there we would think would be grace, but the, really the culture is important because the definition here is not that like mom and dad are, are great at giving the kids grace individually, but that creates this animosity between those two Um or grandma and grandpa are great at giving the grandkids sons of grace, but they fight like crazy with the son-in-law. Um, that's not a culture of grace. That is uh, something else. And it's actually control is what that actually is because you're looking for the, you know, this outcome and you, you see this person might give an outcome. So a culture of grace is the idea that it's exponentially flowing through every relationship um, what, what Paul talks about is Christ crucified within you. So what that means is, is, is that the, the part of you that is your, like your ego, your pride, your flesh, the old Adam, all these things that that is, that, that, that pride is humbled because of the, the process of understanding that you've been given this gift of grace and then it's your privilege and responsibility and um, what you're called to do to let that flow through you. Um, so what that ends up looking like is that, that there is such a radical humbleness through everything that the vulnerability and the, the ability to connect um, is, is not what you and I could do as humans, as we're acting out of, like I said, our, like our flesh, our humanness. It's this supernatural divine thing that's happening because of Jesus that is it's it's supernatural we couldn't do it out of I mean that's it it's it's something else but it means always um tapping into the work of the spirit all the time um allowing that to happen in your life and and that is a daily commitment. And so any kind of daily commitment, the same way, you know, we talk about like charging your cell phone, you wouldn't go a week without charging it. We talk about constantly, constantly like hydrating and drinking, you know, you wouldn't probably, a lot of us wouldn't go a week without caffeine. Like we're used to the rhythm of that. And God, our creator gave us a rhythm of, this is how it's gonna look for my word sacraments to sustain you, it's going to need to be a constant, constant um, practice. And so that constant practice that he gives us, a culture of grace is constantly tapping into that for all people because we couldn't do it on our own. Um, and there are so many things that look like a culture of grace that are just a lot of control and um, a lot of dysfunction. And when you start to study them, or when you truly have been a recipient of some other person in your family giving you unbelievable radical grace from Jesus, it's like, oh yeah, this is this is nothing that we could conjure up on our own. And so that's what we're talking about is that culture. You touched on something that I'm gonna ask you to draw out a little bit more. You're talking about tapping into the spirit daily. All right, we have our identity that is, comes from our family but we also have a more significant identity as a child of God, correct? Yes, and I love that you brought that up. So as we're recording this, I have a book on this exactly due to, for CPH that's gonna be out May, 2021. Um, and we're doing, like I'm writing this exact concept right now. So I'm so eyeball deep in it. So I could talk for hours so for that. For our listeners, it's fun to watch Christina's office because behind yes. her, she has a bulletin board with all of her post-it notes that go into yes. her planning for her book. So this is the third or fourth time I've seen one of those in there. Yes. So 
that'll be so much fun. It's just kind of fun to see the behind the scenes look there. It is. And it's so funny that we're talking about this because I feel like you're, you know, like when you're finishing a book for authors, it's such a like intense time. Um, and, and so then to talk about like, you're, you know, just saying like, what, what about your identity, your spiritual identity as a child of God? Well, I'm writing a book on that. So I have time. <laughs> nothing worse than asking about an author about a book right as they're like in the intense finishing it. But anyway, but, but a short, but a short um, tempered, passionate response would be, would be that this, this other identity of a child of God is really the identity we're talking about. Um, so, so in my research, the thing I learned, and when I speak to groups, this is the thing that people usually, the first point of um, culture of grace, it's hard to accept is, is that, you were given an earthly identity and that earthly family that you were born into was an intentional assignment from God for these people at this time. And that concept right there, like listeners could pause right there and just think about like, oh, intentional. Like sometimes you're like, you know, my parents would have maybe been more apt or more equipped to raise like golden retrievers than human children. <laughs> like they just didn't have the, you know, the warmth or the, they weren't good at it. And yet I was put in this family. Um, and so because of that, your, your earthly family you were born into was broken. All of us, all of us had broken families. Um, and we also had other great. Yeah, I love that. I'm just going to interject for a quick second. When I was a freshman in college and, you know, 18 year olds aren't the sharpest yeah. knives in the drawers at times. And I was wrestling with a number of things that I was kind of gently pushing back against some of the things in the family. And my dad sent me a long letter and we had multiple conversations that were very emotional. And through the course of that, he said in the letter, like, God put you in this family for a reason. Uh and it's just what you were saying and it was one of those things that that hit me like a load of bricks because i was like yeah he did and that slowly started to as that got into my thick skull it started to like okay this this will this helps I love and that. help me make sense of the whole thing so yeah exactly what you were just saying there yes i love that you shared that because i feel like that you know at 18 you had that realization and you may have that realization several more times but it always is like a ton of bricks like Oh, wait, this was all very intentional. You know, we kind of are like, especially um, we, 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 we adopt a narrative someplace, especially in times of great independence, where it's like, wow, that was not the way that was supposed to go. And surely the brokenness, it was never part of God's perfect plan. But, but then also in the brokenness, we find these other opportunities that in the weakness of that, for this other identity. And so you have your earthly identity that is full of brokenness. Your, every, all of our stories contain chapters that, you know, we're not great. And then we have this other spiritual identity as a child of God. And in that spiritual identity is where we really experience this grace. And, and really this, this is the place I think in times of great anxiety like dealing with family during a pandemic, during a, you know, contentious election series, that it's, you have to see yourself as a child of God. You have to see yourself as um, someone overflowing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because those are never going to come from you. Nothing that we can do to become more perfect or organized or controlled um, is ever going to create those. Those are only from the Spirit. Um, and that is the thing that is going to make the difference. And when we talk about a culture again, it's going to make a difference to, to get through whatever Thanksgiving looks like or Christmas. But it's going to make a difference because the when people witness the spirit playing out in Elizabeth's life or Christina's life, um, there's there's they also, as, as children of God, recognize that. And, and there's this moment of inspiration where you're seeing like, oh yeah, that's, I'm witnessing a miracle here that she's able to act with such humbleness with, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these fruits of the spirit. Um, and that creates then exponentially people are saying, okay, so it's not such a big deal that the, the black sheep of the family, you know, didn't come and he maybe is, in jail, you know, all these things that seem earthly, so broken and so heavy, and we can't carry them. And there's so much anxiety. And how can we stand another day? Oh, gosh, look at that. Elizabeth is living out this whole other life that is showing us these, these kinds of 
traits that are are totally different. Um, and I am I am just I'm really just amazed at the times in my life through holidays, through times that have been hard, being able to see that play out in a family where the radical forgiveness and the story changes completely around um, because what the Holy Spirit does in these stories. And, and I kind of think that those things happen. A lot of times those things are birthed after great, um, great labor pains, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's when things get worse than they ever have before. It seems like that, that we're able to birth this new kind of, oh, this was the family that we really needed to have. And now we see that. Um, and, and that maybe is 2020. <laughs> it very well might be. How can low expectations help us Yes. On this front. Yes. I know. I love, I love that definition of grace that, um, <laughs> that, you know, bringing low expectations are going to be really helpful when dealing with family, especially the difficult ones. <laughs> and it's, we laugh about that because you're, we're not, you know, we imagine like Norwood Rockwell kind of Thanksgiving, but, but it's so much more helpful. It's just like we were talking about at the very beginning of this, we we're talking about, you know, seventh grade basketball tryouts and trying to take freshman honors English. Like we, we are just so human wired to want to control every situation all the way back to Eve. Like, you know, well, you know, I really have this expectation that I would be eating from every one of these beautiful trees. And <laughs> now here we are in 2020, even as our expectations of the year have been slammed over and over and over, we still can't help but and, like approach things with an expectation. We have this control, this idea we're going to show up. Everyone's going to be in like matching plaid shirts and, you know, everyone's going to get along. And if I mess up on that, I'm terrible. So we bring like these, we bring all these expectations, like two radio stations playing in your head. Like I need everyone to act perfectly and I, and they better not mess up. And then, you know, also if they mess up, I'm going to be very angry. And we don't even mean for that to happen, but it just comes that way. Instead, part of the equation of grace and a culture of grace is to see things realistically how they are. Like, okay, we're going to show up and we're, we're aiming here for everyone to be civil and kind and loving. And that's it. We're not, we're not peeping all this other pressure on there because the situation can't handle it. Um, but that's where grace begins is not getting the human part of this whole scenario jacked way up on anxiety because it'll never live up to that. I would rather have a lot of laughter and storytelling happening around a holiday meal than picture perfect table settings and everything. Yes. You know, I would I would rather focus on the human side of it. You know, I think that's so true in 2020. I think you said that that our kids are going to be really resilient. Um I think that's how happening, Elizabeth. Don't you can't you see that people are getting I mean when they are seeing each other face to face, it's a little bit of a loss of control that maybe it took us a pandemic to end the epidemic of perfectionism, you know, like, like showing it to school a couple months ago. I saw that people were kind of like, we're going to try our best here, but it's it, the momentum that we were on as a family of, it has to be bigger and better and greater and grander is, is kind of slowed down and it's not a bad thing. So that is, I agree with that. Yeah. It's, it's the slowdown and the, the, chance to reassess what really matters yeah. and where our energy needs to be has been very, at least in my family, it's been very healthy. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that is healthy when we talk about this is boundaries. How can boundaries help um, nurture our culture of grace? So great bound, you know, we talk about, and as Lutherans, we talk about the law and the gospel and how you need both. Like you, you, the law has a purpose so that you can fully appreciate the sweetness of the gospel and good boundaries are so important because a culture of grace is not a culture of like free for all. Um, and that's another way that as humans, we kind of get it wrong. But but a culture of grace needs the boundaries of relationships of I'm uncomfortable with that. Um, this is this is not what our family is going to be able to do. It's it exceeds our time or energy that we can do. And Actually, in my research, I found the most interesting thing is, is that the people who show the best boundaries in a family are also those who are the most compassionate 
And the reason is, is because if you don't have good boundaries, if you have poor boundaries, you end up with a lot of resentment. You know, I agree to this and I, you know, I put myself out there for this and this and I'm way outside my comfort zone um, in, in all relationships. I'm, I have no boundaries. And then people, you train a bunch of people that you'll always say yes and do what they want. And then you're, you end up, you end up resentful and resentment and compassion are, are polar opposites. And so people with good boundaries are setting themselves up like rules in a game. Like we all know where we're, we're able to relate. And because of that, we're going to have a successful relationship. Um, and then, of course, the grace part is always the supernatural part from from God that we have through Jesus. That is the we're, we're the we're the real like what we call in our family, the like the juiciness, like this is where you really want to sink in lies in that. But but in order for us as humans to act out that grace, there have to be some rules and the boundaries come in there. And I think that holidays are the place where all of our boundaries are tested. It's like a more spending, more eating, you know, more. Yes. Say yes to all of it. Uh, and then we end up in January kind of like this ginormous like hangover from from too much of that resentment and anger um, or there's blow ups at the actual holiday celebrations with within our own families. And it was, well, my expectations were this because of what you had promised and it didn't turn out to be that way. You weren't very honest in your boundaries. So it does play into it. It's so important. I think it's healthy for each of us to understand, well, to, to know ourselves and to be honest with ourselves about our own capacity, our family's capacity and where our limits are and where where we thrive so that we set those boundaries in a realistic manner because if we can't be yeah. honest and vulnerable about what we need to protect you know our core i mean as in our families our vocation comes is right there to our family and we need to be honest with ourselves about what the people in our care need um so if we're setting false boundaries, we're still going to be in a world of hurt. So to be really honest there, I think will be helpful. Yeah, exactly. So in the book, you give um, a, a really neat picture of a stained glass window. I think it was at your grandparents' house. Yeah, my in-laws. Yes. Yeah. Your in-laws. Um, and how the different pieces of the stained glass in your mind come bring together all the little different pieces of what can help create the culture. Because as we think about creating a culture, it's not one big activity. It's going to be a lot of small steps repeated over and over until they become part of our habits. You give some 49 different examples of things that we could start doing. Yeah, I'm going to throw out a, a handful of those and ask you to tell us a little bit more. Okay. That's great. Okay. What does it look like to be a love generator? Yeah, that's great. So the when we talk about families, we're talking about all the different generations working together and the generations working together within there is they, we need some way in order for, for the love exponentially to grow. And a lot of times the love generator I'm discovering more and more during the pandemic and during the quarantine is quality time of being totally present, present with the people that you're with in that moment. We had a lot of that during quarantine, which was which was interesting because um, people feel very loved and seen in those times. And especially multi-generationally, we're forgetting how to do that. And so one of the things, um, as we talk about Love Generator for especially family gatherings that are coming up, how can you show up and be totally tuned in to the people who the actual real life people who are sitting in front of you. Um, and that's, that's a multi-step of leaving behind the anxiety, leaving behind, you know, the expectations of them, like we talked about, or the resentment and being fully aware of what they're saying, listening to them. That is so powerful within, um, even, even this afternoon with whoever you're seeing this afternoon, giving them a few minutes is is going to generate so much love to cover like the, the things that aren't going well. Yeah. Find your family fun. So this is interesting because I bet that our family fun is different than your family fun. And it's not just with your kids. 
It's so interesting because our family, um, I talk about it in the book, but I had an aunt and uncle that lived in Albuquerque and they had a Friday night pizza dinner for 50 years where they made homemade pizza on Friday nights. They had six kids and whoever wanted to stop by could. And for some families that, you know, we have friends that love to eat out that just would never work. Um, but, but watching that play out for 50 years, if you were going to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico on a Friday night, you could go to the Post and Reader house and get a really delicious homemade pizza and the amount of people that were blessed by that. And the reason why was because they had so much fun with it. And we've picked that up here in Houston. We've been doing Sunday nights dinners and we've been doing the same thing. Like we're just like, this has really became fun for our family to have people into our house and do like backyard campfires when we were doing a lot of social distancing. Um, and, and that's, I mean, what in the world? I never saw that coming, but now I see that with three teenagers, this is the vibe of our house right now. Um, but it's, it's going to look different at different times. And I just think that that's part of what we talked about earlier. This is the beginning, truly, this is the beginning of you creating a culture of grace is looking at your family of origin and the one you're raising and saying, this is it. This is who we are. We're the people that really love to do this. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to own that and do it. And then don't be afraid. Cause that's the other part of this is showing up and showing vulnerability. Um, the first few times I bet they did the pizza thing. It was like, oh, this is weird. You know, we're kind of using like a box mix or for us, we're like, oh, we're like serving mediocre spaghetti. Like, is anyone going to leave their other life to come here? Um, but it was fun for us and people picked up on that and they like to come over. So it's, it's going well. So we'll be there on a Sunday night in Houston for spaghetti. I'm going to have you. Exactly. <laughs> so how does showing up for your family help? Yeah, this is such a big concept. And um, I write about this a lot in the book. And I think it's probably a place that resonates with people because I think that especially as Lutherans, we, we can be very cerebral, which is great because we have such a great understanding of theology and God's word. Um, and so I have spoken about this concept to, to women's retreats or to churches about culture of grace. And I can feel people nodding like, yes, I understand this. I, I'm tracking with what you're saying. I get how this is important. Yes, it's eye-opening. And then we start talking about like show up for your family, like even the difficult ones, even the one that's um, that that talks like um, two more hours than you want to talk to them and they just keep going. Or we talk about like having to pick up the 300 pound phone to call your aunt that um, is maybe drunk. You know, I'm not kidding. Like this is family. It's, it's like that. And, or, or even showing up for like the really boring parts or you don't really approve of your brother and his third wife or your in-laws are so difficult. And if you only knew my sob story, you know, you hear this always when you say to people, you're just going to have to show up. Like you really do have to go to the family things and show up because it's different than intellectualizing this to be in front of flesh, bone, blood people with their actual real problems who may be kind of you know, difficult to talk to and, and show up and show them what love looks like. Um, and yet, yet we, we have to do that because, because God didn't stay a God that just, you know, was, was existing. He, as a, you know, as, as a God that was, you know, that was just like, this is God, this is Yahweh, this, we have this flesh and blood Jesus that came to earth and showed up and ate and drank and went to weddings and parties and difficult people. Um, that is, that is different. So I, I think that certain families do this so well. And I think that when other people see it, it is remarkable. Like, like, it's like, wow, they, they're showing up. Gosh, what a happy family. And then you talk to them, you're like, they're like, we're not always happy, but we are showing up for each other and dealing with the things that come up. And then you get into a territory that so many of us are just struggle with. And that's when we need the strength of the Holy Spirit to, to get through those tough times. A related, um, 
topic tip here is to eat some sauerkraut with your sister. <laughs> yes. So, so we get, we talked about this with the food and I just think it's so interesting because I teach, um, 18 year olds. And so if you've, I didn't realize this until it was a presidential election year, but 18 year olds have very strong political feelings. All of them do. <laughs> Which is, I think maybe when I was 18, I did too, um, because you get, you kind of get nuanced political opinions later. Um, okay, well, so take the fervor that 18-year-olds feel about presidential elections, which is great, <laughs> and then put it into all of us. We, we get this way about our lives where it's like the most important thing is my preferences. And I'm going to, you know, live out these preferences as anyone that doesn't agree with them is wrong. Um, and then you add in the equation like a soapbox, you know, like Facebook or whatever. And all of a sudden, everyone is just so self-righteous about their opinions. And what happens with that that is just crazy is, is that then you have to the, hate on everyone else's opinions. So when you say that, eat some sauerkraut with your sister, it's it's this idea that um, I don't like sauerkraut. Well, I don't like my sister. Well, I don't like, you know, and it's like, well, this is not who I am. You know, all the passion of like an 18 year old and the day before a presidential election. Um, and and the thing is, get over it. <laughs> you know, this is this go eat the sauerkraut if that's what she likes. Um, that's not bad boundaries. That's just being nice. That's just living this other culture of grace where you're think where you're saying, um, we get it. You don't like sauerkraut. You don't really enjoy time with your sister. But I think what what lurks there is besides the control, which we talked about, is the stem a lot of things. Is this great fear? Is like, well, what if what if it's super awkward and hard. And I know that you you and I both know Elizabeth because we've been doing families for long enough that it is awkward and hard. And yet in the moment, God gives you exactly what you need to get through the hard thing. And you you always on the other side are changed by, you know, relying on God in that moment and saying, okay, I can get, I can do this thing and do this nice thing. She likes to do it. So I'll do it with her. And then, and at the end you're saying, that wasn't so hard. And even I felt I felt really kind towards her. And and if you're paying attention, and again, this is going back to being in the word and understanding what God's doing, you're realizing that didn't come from me. That was this extra blessing. That was this extra grace that showed up in that moment. Um, isn't that what we're looking for anyway? Isn't that what all of us are looking for anyway? Is this the, the reassurance that God is going to provide that in the moment that's hard? Um so 2020 and families and holidays, they're all going to be hard, but don't create ways to avoid them. Because if you do, you're, you, you know, you're just kind of getting out of it. You're not showing up. You're not doing, you know, going to the in-laws house or whatever. And then, and then you've given into this anxiety and fear and control, and you've really um, denied God this chance to show up in this moment and provide exactly what you need, which is so, so exciting and, and really what we all need. The fear and apprehension that we can convince ourselves yeah. is going to take place is, at least in my experience, is, is almost never even close to the reality of the situation. And in those times where I have caved and I've talked myself into something because of, you know, hallucinating about how it's going to go, usually causes more problems than if I had just sucked it up and gone in the first place. So, so yeah. sometimes we have to like, okay, I'm really trying to, I'm, I'm, telling myself things that I don't even have the facts to prove, but I'm making stuff up and I'm, I'm worrying about it. So that's, it's never a healthy place to be. Yeah. So we're going to have times in these next months where something is going to happen and it's going to cause a disagreement or a conflict or a fight. How can we fight fair? Yeah. So Jesus gives us in Matthew 18, we, you know, we know this, he kind of gives us like this flow chart of this is the way that you resolve conflict. And the, the interesting thing about it is he never says, be sure and text the people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or leave voicemails when you know they're not going to answer their phone. <laughs> let me put a ranting post on Facebook right. telling you how you're wrong. <laughs> yes. Let me, let me, you know, very subtly um, call you out. Although I won't really say your name. He never says to do that. And it turns out that 2000 years later, it's the very best advice because uh, not only is it statistically proven that a face-to-face -face conversation is, it will, will 
dissolves so much of the the angst and frustration of you living in your head and your story and version of the events and you got my voicemail and then you know all this back and forth that we kind of play with new technology um it's it's also exactly what jesus said and and i write about this in the book but conflict resolution when we talk about this face to face you know it really does invite this these moments of of sacred space to be able to, like we were talking about, where this this third perspective comes in, where I'm sharing my perspective and you're sharing your perspective, but this this third perspective comes comes in, which is the the spiritual softening of well, we start to see each other, you know, as people, and 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 the vulnerability of each other, the fear in each other's eyes, um, the miscommunication, how it all went wrong, and when that happens, um, that's the culture of grace, and it's so exciting because. Uh, just like you said, it's so true that we blow it up in our minds to be such a bigger deal. And then when you really sit down with a family member and say, hey, this is, you know, this is what I felt in that. And and they say, this is what I felt. And again, Jesus does it so well with like no you statement. You know, he's like, take, take, take your case and say what it felt. And then he, and then Jesus says these other things that are just so brilliant because he says, you know, and then if it, if you don't resolve it, take it to another person. And what happens in families is interesting because, um, as you know, you have a fight with your sister because there's sibling rivalry and you really have only been able to see her as the person she was when you were like three and four and seven and 10 and 13. Um, but everyone else in your family sees her as a different person because they're not like younger sister to her. Um, and so when you take the conflict to the rest, to someone else in the family, they they also see you for all your strengths and weaknesses and hangups. And they really do provide this other perspective that you guys who have been mired in the same conflict and same battle of the wills since day one um, comes in and says, well, you know, this is this might be another way to look at it. So that's Jesus's plan for conflict resolution, which is still holds up today. And interestingly, the more we learn about conflict becoming a problem in, in our society today and causing so much depression, and anxiety and angst um, that we're missing this human connection. The people that are trained to do this are giving the same advice here. And it's still this same advice of it's going to take grace. And, and here's what grace actually looks like playing out in a conversation. It's so important to be able to step back and be vulnerable enough to do that yeah. um, and take those steps to help resolve any conflict in a healthy way. As we start to wrap up, what advice, encouragement, hope do you have for our listeners as they take their first steps or wherever they're at on the path towards creating a culture of grace in their families? What encouragement do you have for them? You know, I have two things. And one is that that I think that we, so many of us this year, like we talked about, were thrown into hard circumstances. And, and there were things we didn't choose. And yet, aren't you just, are you, I'm, I just am so amazed at the, the amount of, um, like you said, resilience and vulnerability and kindness that, you know, we, you and I have had the chance to talk on Facebook lives and stuff throughout this. And we've really kind of tracked the unfolding of, of the way that we respond to this pandemic. And, and people have been, are, are just so generous with things. And so, going into the next season of this, which is going to be the holidays, is, is that you really get to kind of um, get to choose your hard. <laughs> and so it's hard to show up to family meals. It's hard to, to, to find time to pray every day. It's hard to find time to be in Bible study. It really is hard. I get that. But if you don't do those things that are nurturing your spirit and refreshing you and giving you God's perspective, you're choosing a different kind of hard and that kind of heart is is so painful because it's discord with your family, um, it's it's pain, it's it's the kind of breaking of relationships that can cause real regret. And so we didn't choose this heart of 2020, and yet we all have thrived going through it, even when it's been hard. Um, people have pivoted and pivoted and done great with that. Um, so choose your heart, and and isn't it better to choose the heart that 
your creator has laid out for you as, you know, look, conflict is, is uncomfortable, but you know, what's worse than conflict is, is losing a relationship with someone in your family or what I believe um, Jesus's message is over and over is to live with this pride and this anxiety that is, is just never going to resolve itself. Um, so that's one. The other thing is, is I think it's important is to remember that you're practicing something every day. You're practicing something when you are going to, you know, all the millions of decisions that you have to make in a week. They're, they're practicing something. And I keep coming back to this book that I'm writing right now is about practicing spiritual habits, like, you know, being in the word and worshiping, um, being in, in prayer, taking time to reflect on what God's doing in your life. Um, those are the things that, that God tells us to practice. And if you're not practicing those things, you're practicing, you know, hate and, and a lot of times anger and pride. And, and those are becoming more and more your habits that define you. So, so before we're just at the beginning of November, guys, this is such a good time to set out what you want these to look like and put some thought around it. Like these are some of my goals. This is this is what I'm thankful for and grateful for. And this is what I'm not gonna allow to happen again because I can see I get sucked into the same pattern of sin and it doesn't work. And I'm not gonna go keep going back to the anxiety. Um, instead, I'm gonna try this different thing and I'm gonna be intentional about Bible study. And, and those are not, um, those are habits that are not, that are not going to cause the same problem. So be careful what you practice because it matters and it defines who you are. Absolutely. And those habits that you mentioned of prayer and being in Bible study and in worship, those, those go to the core of helping us have the right frame of mind to really be aware of the culture we are creating and the legacy that we are leaving for the future generations in our family. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So... Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. I think we probably could have kept going on for another hour or two because there's so much to talk about when it comes to families and every, everything that we want our families to be. But I will leave it at this. For our listeners, if you'd like to learn more, check out the show notes. We'll have a link to Christina's book, Family Trees and Olive Branches, Creating a Culture of Grace in Your Family. And I'd encourage you to check it out. Christina, thanks so much for being with us today. Yes, thanks. It was great to chat. Until next time, we'll have you on again and we'll talk about the next book here in a couple of months so that we'll look forward to that. Listeners, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.